We live in pretty interesting times, don't we? It's, it's a very interesting and strange time that we're in right now. It's, it's this time where people are constantly uh, like up in arms on edge about all sorts of different things. The, the opinions of the loudest voice carry the weight of public sway, even if that voice has absolutely no experience uh, or, or credibility in the area that they're speaking on. And we have a new generation that's risen up, uh, and, and they are quickly showing us that they are more driven towards social causes than any generation before them. This has led to a tension between generations where nobody wants to seek unity, but everybody is trying to, they're, they're drawing these defining lines around their generation to accentuate what they feel makes their generation the best. We have younger generations that are saying that this is the greatest time of unrest our world has ever seen, as if there's some sort of prize to be won for that. And then we have the older generations that are remembering times of worldwide turmoil and looking at today's day and saying, this looks much more like a three-year-old throwing a fit over not getting seconds on ice cream. And so we have these tensions between the two, and both sides are making these intense judgments on the other. As a result, we're left with this powder keg of a culture that's waiting for the right spark to set it off. And, and it's interesting. No matter your opinion on current events, we just live in an interesting time of generational, racial, cultural, and spiritual divide. The question for us is this, though. What are we doing? What are we as Christians, as the body of Christ, what are we as the church doing to lead effective change in such a time as this? Uh, I've seen many posts on social media from pastors and Christian leaders trying to give insight to their followers and congregations on how they should feel. I've seen many churches marching in protests and others out marching in protest against the protests. I've seen uh, pastors and church leaders trying to speak to their congregations about subjects that they were never, that they've never had to deal with before, and yet they're expected to have perfect, perfect wisdom, perfect wording, and, and perfect answers on these things. Many of these leaders speak out because they feel that they must only to be attacked by, uh, by the people who hear them, the people outside of the church and even their own congregations who disagree with maybe a single word or statement that they said. The idea of a conversation has completely disappeared from our culture because no one is willing to really listen, but only listen long enough to formulate a response as to why their way of thinking is the only right way. In all this conflict, we want to blame certain people. We want to blame political parties or situations for the circumstances that we're in. But there is a truth that we may be missing, and I believe it is no coincidence that our Faith in Action series has come to this passage for today. What I love is that over the last season here, we'll call it, because it's been a few months, um, we've been seeing uh, the, the passages that we're looking at in Scripture match very well with what's going on in our culture. And a lot of you may be going, oh yeah, well that's just because you know, you, you know what's going on, so you pick things that'll fit with it. But what's amazing is this, it was seven or eight months ago that Pastor John sat down and, and sought after God's will for what he should be teaching and what we should be going through as a church this year. And so it was seven or eight months ago that God was saying, hey, on this day, at this time, with what's going on in this culture, your church needs to talk about this. And so it's exciting to me to see the passage that we're in today, knowing that God designed it and brought it together for his purpose to look at it in this way. Now, I don't want to, I'm not trying to build it up too much, I hope. <laughs> but if, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to do things a little backwards today. We are, we're going to look in Scripture Today, but we're going to start with James chapter 4, and then later we're going to jump back to James chapter 3, okay? So if you have your Bible with you, open up to James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. 
If you have uh, the Bible app on your phone, down in the bottom right corner, you can tap this little three lines that says more, and then hit the events tab, and there's one that says Mitchell Berean, and it'll have all of the sermon notes to go through, all of the verses. You can take notes on your phone through that. It makes it really easy, so that's something you can use as well. So James 4, starting in verse 1, says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. So conflict is something that we deal with all the time and yet never really seem to deal with it, right? You know what I'm saying? It's around us constantly rising up around us, and as this section shows us, it rises up within us as well. And yes, while we'd love to blame situations, politics, or the immaturity of other people for our conflicts, we have to admit something. We play a role. We are more of the problem than we want to admit. And today, as we look at the subject of conflict, we're going to look at some very common conflicts that we face regularly, and and we're going to look at five of these conflicts and how we're called to battle them with faith that is grounded in biblical truth. But before we go any further, because we're talking about conflict, I want to take a moment and let's just pray before we dive in uh, to these different areas. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to look in your word, to see this. I thank you for providing for us wisdom and truth that we can hold on to. And God, I ask today that you would be glorified as we seek out more of who you are, of what you've done and what you've called us to do. God, that we would be in awe of you, that we would be obedient to you, and God, that we would represent you well in a world that needs to see you. So God, I just pray that you would use this time, use these words, use this scripture, God, to grow us and to change us, to mold us into the body of Christ that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so like I said, we're gonna look at five different kinds of conflict. So the first conflict that we're gonna be looking at, conflict number one, I call the inner conflict. This is the conflict of all conflicts. It's the one that is at the root of every single conflict that we face. And we see it all the time. including in scripture. In fact, when you think back to the very beginning, when God has made Adam and Eve and they chose to sin, they eat the fruit they weren't supposed to, we start seeing this inner conflict coming up immediately. God shows up to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve realize that they're naked and they hide because they heard God coming. God says, where are you guys? And Adam, being the best hide-and-seek player of all time, announces his spot. We're hiding in the bushes because we're naked and we're afraid you're going to see us. And Adam just doesn't get hide and seek quite yet, um, but eventually he would get it, I'm sure. But the, the thing is, at this point, God looks at Adam and says, who told you you were naked? And, and he says, what did you do? What happened? Did you eat that fruit? And here's Adam's response in Genesis 3, 12 through 13. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Pretty smooth, guys, right? Real smooth in this. They Immediately when sin enters the world, we see people facing this conflict and doing all that they can to pass the blame onto someone else. Now, guys, I'm just going to tell you this. When your first instinct is to blame your wife for, for the downfall of all humanity. It's probably not, not going to be a good next couple years for you, <laughs> I would say. But the truth is, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that we see Adam so quickly in this conflict go, it's not my fault. 
and Eve go, well, it's not my fault either. And they're constantly passing this blame on to others. And that's what this inner conflict really looks like. And, and we see it continued on in Scripture in other places. Like this Wednesday, we looked at the story of King Saul as he's being rejected as the king of Israel by God. King Saul was given a command by God to carry out as the judgment of God, a God's judgment on the Amalekites. God had sent him to go and destroy them. And he said this, do not plunder anything that they have. Kill their livestock and burn everything. Don't take anything from them. Leave it. Well, the battle happens. They're successful in it. And Samuel the prophet shows up to see how they did. As he's approaching, Saul stands up and says, Samuel, may the Lord's blessing be on you. At that moment, Samuel can hear the sheep and the cows of the Amalekites hiding behind the tents making noise. He goes, why are you calling blessing on me, Saul, when clearly you've disobeyed the command of God that was given to you? Why are you doing this? And here's what Saul does. You can almost picture him pulling Samuel aside, and he's like, well, it was the guys. <laughs> they wanted them. And there's a lot of them, and they're kind of scary. I'm, I'm intimidated by them. Now, you may think that Saul wouldn't do that. He wouldn't be like that. But you have to remember, when Saul was first called to be king, what did he do? He ran and he hid. He didn't want to be king. He's not a bold man. He's not a, a brave man. He's just a tall man that they said looks like a king, so they picked him. That's how it happened. And so he's like immediately going, no, 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 I, I know what it was said, but it, these guys, have you seen these guys? They're scary, and they all have swords. I don't want to cross them. <laughs> Samuel goes, no, this is your job. You're the king. You were supposed to declare to them this truth and say this is what we're to do. You should have stood up and said something. He goes, I know, I know, I sinned, I'm wrong, but it was because of them, and please don't embarrass me in front of the guys. That was his response. He could never just accept responsibility for what he had chosen to do in disobedience. He always had to push it onto someone else or at least share it with somebody else. Nothing has changed today. We see this constantly, this inner conflict heat up and it boils over into other conflicts. Now this is such a simple one to beat and yet it's one that we find probably the hardest to battle. And the idea of who's to blame never seems to naturally point to ourselves. And yet, if we step back and took an honest look at ourselves, we would see the truth of why we're in the crisis that we currently face. But before we get into solutions, I want to identify some of the rest of the conflicts that we face. So we're going to jump to conflict number two. Conflict number two is called the opinion conflict. This is our favorite one, the opinion conflict. The climate of our current culture is driven by opinions, right? What major politicians think, what celebrities think, what news media thinks, what your neighbor thinks. Now, while all these people are fully allowed to think and have opinions, the conflict rises up when those opinions are demanded to be more than what they are. They're demanded to go beyond opinion. And how many of you have recently been involved in or maybe witnessed a conversation where you've seen two people disagreeing or maybe you've been one of them and it turns into a conflict simply because you have a differing of opinions. Have you been in anything like that recently or seen that happen recently? It's all over. <laughs> front row, they're raising their hands because they didn't know that nobody behind them did. So I love the front row <laughs> for that. They're, they'll lead the way. <laughs> so um, to some of you, that sounds like the definition of a conflict, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you it's not. A disagreement over opinions doesn't become a conflict until one of the people involved demands that the other must agree with them. Then it becomes a conflict. You can have a differing of opinions and have a conversation or a disagreement about it, but it becomes a conflict when you're demanding that the other person agrees with you. And I found it so interesting how many people will never just silently disagree with something anymore. 
You can't be quiet. It's like they, they feel that if their opinion is different, it is their duty to speak to the one uh, who, who has spoken incorrectly in their eyes, to correct them. I've seen people escalate in person in these conflicts to the point of physically attacking each other. I've seen people post on social media the statement of, here's my opinion, and if you disagree with me, unfriend me right now. That's the attitude of our current culture when it comes to the opinion conflict is, this is what I think. If you don't agree, I don't want to know you. You don't exist to me. That's crazy. And the sad thing is this. This conflict has been king in our culture for the last couple decades, and we're seeing the result of it now, of letting it run rampant, letting it be what controls all that we do. This is where it's at, and this is why everything is so confusing, everything's so frustrating, and everything is blowing up, is because everybody's been able to just choose their opinion and go with it. Truth doesn't matter in it. What I want matters. What I feel matters. Next conflict, conflict number three. I call this the political conflict. Now, you may be thinking that's the same as the opinion conflict, isn't it? The truth is this political spinoff is actually one that belongs in its own category. It focuses less on my opinion and more on the position of my own political party. The battle raging in our culture right now is described politically as the far left versus the far right. Okay? So we see this, and, and these two political extremes are at these impassable odds with each other, right? And you do not have to be an extremist on either front to be involved in it. You don't have to be so far over to one side to have an opinion or to start driving for something to change in it. You don't have to be fully bought in, which is why it's different than the opinion one. But here's what's crazy. While opinion clashes uh, will end friendships, this is where we see the definition of a political clash change. Because political clashes change when it comes to how far someone is willing to go to win. See, political clashes may end a friendship, but political clashes have led to the ending of lives more often than we should admit, more often than we should be okay with. From the destruction of someone's character through gossip and slander and smear campaigns all the way to the senseless murder of someone who just seems to represent a different political view than you. We're seeing this happen in our culture right now. And this, this goal of this kind of conflict is easy to see. In fact, Jesus described it when he was talking about the goal of the enemy of the thief in John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal the power, to kill the oppressor, to destroy all who disagree. That's what this conflict looks like. And that's part of what we're seeing rise up in our culture right now. Conflict number four. This one's called the righteous conflict. Now this conflict is fairly easy to understand, but it's vastly different from the last two that we looked at. While political and opinion-based conflicts are based on personal views of those involved, the righteous conflict is found when someone witnesses something blatantly wrong, absolutely wrong. Now, this conflict is based in and can only be found in a culture of absolute truth because for there to be a standard of what is right or wrong, we have to have a truth that cannot be changed or bent. It has to be solid truth. And as you may have noticed in our current culture, truth is labeled as fluid. You get to choose your truth. Truth is, is based upon your circumstances because they change what truth is depending on how you feel day to day. Your truth doesn't have to be the same as the person's next to you. It sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Because it is, truthfully. <laughs> it's ridiculous. 
And what's crazy, though, is after 12 years of doing youth ministry, this is the generation that I love, I absolutely love, but they terrify me the most because this is what not only they're being taught on movies and TV, not only what what they're hearing from their friends, but this is what they're being taught in school, too. This is the campaigns that are going on, and if you know how to look for it, you'll find it back over the last few decades that, that has been leading all the way to where we're at now, a post-truth culture is what America is known as right now, post-truth. It's not like we're anti-truth. We're, we're past it. We don't need truth anymore. That's what we're defined as. And this post-truth culture has put us in a position where the righteous conflict carries much less weight than those based in personal preference. But I want to give you a simple picture of what a righteous conflict looks like. So we're going to look at one of the hot topics of our day, and there are so many that I could have picked that would have fit right into this. But let's just look at the topic of racism. Simply put, the color of someone's skin is designed by God. That makes it sacred. I want you to understand what that means. When God designs and puts something together, it is sacred. He did it. To determine someone's value based upon their appearance is to remove the truth that God chose this, that God put this and designed them this way for his, for his pleasure and by his perfection. Because of this truth, when we see someone being blatantly oppressed or discriminated against for the color of their skin, we can have a righteous conflict. Does that make sense? One that defends truth, real truth. One that never seeks to destroy, but always holds the intention of lovingly bringing others to what is correct. One that stands up boldly in defense of those who have been oppressed by the wrong done to them in the name of anything other than truth. Now understand that some of you are hearing this and, and you're picturing a political conflict that's going on right now. Remember, I'm talking about a righteous conflict. What started in our country as a righteous conflict here recently has now turned into a political one. So don't get me wrong in thinking that I'm trying to push in some direction right now. I just want you to see clearly what the righteous conflict is within it because it's getting lost in all of the noise. We have to understand this side of it. To help you understand righteous conflict a little bit more, I think of the times that Jesus spoke out to the teachers of the religious law in the nation of Israel at his time. Matthew 23, I'm not going to read through it because Jesus spends 36 verses straight calling them out on the fact that they have abandoned their their responsibility, that they have given up on it. They were called to this by God, and the sad result of their disobedience was the state of the nation of Israel at that time. And Jesus describes the nation of Israel as lost, like sheep without a shepherd, wandering every direction, following the loudest voice going with whatever cause seems to be the right one, searching for answers. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? And this is the result of it. God's chosen people were being oppressed by the sinful pride of leaders over them who desired to be served instead of faithfully serve. And that's what happened there, and and we're seeing very similar things now. So, We have a lot of other conflicts that we could look at, a lot of other kinds of conflicts. Some of you are rolling through conflicts you're currently in in your mind going, well, wait, I'm waiting for them to get to this one so I can give that person the eye. I'm not getting there. We're just going to jump to solutions now, okay? So settle down a little bit. We're going to get there. We'll, We'll work through this. There are more conflicts that we face, but what's amazing is how simple the solutions can be, okay? How simple they can be. And as we start diving into these solutions, I first want us to go back and open up our Bibles to James chapter 3. So now is when we're going to jump back, and it's a short chapter, but we're going to read through this 
to help us see it. And I love this chapter because it, it is amazing how well it fits with what we're going through today as a culture. So starting in verse one of James chapter three. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, so the first thing I want you to notice between chapters three and four is that conflict has a source. It has a source. You, me, us. There's a source. Why do we quarrel and fight? Well, because of the evil desires that rise up within us. This internal conflict that we talked about earlier, uh, it, this is what it is. And if we could hold on to this one, if we could get a hold on it, we could greatly reduce the unhealthy, unnecessary conflicts that we face. So how do we end this conflict? It's really simple, actually. It starts and ends by admitting that it's happening. <laughs> Admitting that it's happening. We have to be willing to admit our fault, our sinful desires, our endless wanting of my way. The problem is we don't like to admit that. We don't like to, to think of ourselves as having uh, an evil side. Some of us are like, no, I see it. Others of us go, no, I'm not evil. I'm a good person. See, there's a problem, though, because Scripture says there's no one who is righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who truly seeks after God. Apart from God, we are fully lost. We are fully evil and wrong, and we will always seek with selfishness. There will always be sin at the root of what we're doing. And we have to understand that that nature, even in those who have put their faith in Christ, that nature is still there trying to get control, trying to take back. But we're called in Scripture to put it to death, to crucify it, to daily put it to death, that we can battle and walk according to the Spirit, put to death the, the desires of the flesh, because when we admit that they're there, it is so much easier for us to, to put them to death. But if I don't admit they're there, 
if I don't want to realize or face it, if I'm not aware of it, then I'm just letting it out. It'll rise up and it'll control so much more than I realize. It's a problem, though. And, and every single one of us has bent towards certain kinds of sin. And we need to start becoming aware of that because when we can be aware of what we're bent towards, it's so much easier to avoid going places that lean us that direction. So much easier to be aware when you see something that is going to trigger you that direction so that you can start battling before the issue even comes to a head. Does that make sense? We need to understand these things and admit that it's happening. And when we can face this truth that we are the spring these issues have bubbled out of, then we will find there is way less conflict in our life. Now understand this, not all conflict is bad. Not all conflicts are bad. Learning how to have healthy conflict resolution is important because while these solutions may, may help end some conflicts, they're not going to prevent them. Conflicts will rise up. Now you're saying, but wait a second, you just said if I can put, put this side to death, then I'll be able to, to have less conflict. Yes, you, you will. The truth is you will. But, but here's the thing. You putting to death the conflict that's rising up within you, these evil desires in you, does not mean the person next to you is doing the same thing. Okay? And so their conflict may rise up and boil out on top of you. You may be stuck right in the middle of it. We're always going to have to face conflict, so we have to learn how to handle it in a proper and healthy and God-honoring way. So how do we do this? What's the answer? What is it that James says we are to do to, to battle these things? Well, he says, tame the tongue. As James puts it, the tongue is a powerful thing. It's like a, a small spark in a dry field on a really windy day. The tongue has the power to cause immense damage. I think of my cousins that live in, uh, in Phoenix right now as they're watching fires that have been coming across their state. And they're thinking, oh, it's going to get put out. It's going to get put out. It's going to get put out. And now just the other day, they posted a picture of the mountains that they can see from Phoenix that are now completely smoldering. Things that were never supposed to burn, and yet it just, it just keeps moving that direction, getting closer and closer. And, and I think of how small of a spark it takes to start something like that. Incredible, immense damage. And some of you may be thinking, but that's only if you use your tongue for evil, and I don't ever do that. I never say bad things. I'm a good person. Remember, I don't, I, I don't do that. I don't ever say anything wrong. Now, here's the thing. If you think that you never say anything that hurts anyone or causes damage, then you need to ask the people around you if you do or not, because if you are completely that unaware of it, they, there's way more of it going on than you realize. I'm just telling you. So we have to understand the importance of, of realizing that it's, it's not about, oh, I just won't use it for evil. I will only use it for good, because you know what James 3 never does? never gives us instruction on the good that can be done with the tongue. Do you notice that? It never flips the thing over and says, but if you use your tongue this way, if you speak this, it never does that. It never brings it up. It just talks about the danger of an untamed tongue because that's what it is. And I believe it's because there's so much more damage than good that comes from an untamed tongue. And until you learn to tame your tongue, you will always be like that spring providing both fresh and salty water. So, so how do we tame the tongue? Well, here's what James says we do. Nothing, because you can't. <laughs> you can't tame the tongue. All right, sermon over. That's it. We're done. It's useless. There's going to be conflict, and it's going to be over. It's horrible. But the problem is, he, he doesn't give us an answer to that. In fact, he says in James 3, 7 through 8, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. You can't tame it. The other day, I saw a video 
And it, it said if 2020 was a horse, of course, on it, which was great. Um, but they were just breaking this horse, put a saddle on it for the first time, put it in a corral, and backed away. And as many of you have seen with horses that you're first starting to break, they don't really like that. They don't appreciate it or enjoy it. It's not what they feel is, is what they're designed for. And so they freak out. And this horse was no exception. It starts flipping all over the place, jumping everywhere, pushing against the fence, rolling on the ground, doing all sorts of crazy things. And I was like, yeah, if 2020 was a horse, it would look like that, I'm assuming. But, but the thing is, this horse eventually is going to calm down eventually is going to settle, and, and even if they continue to work with it, this animal will be tamed to the point that someone can ride it and even build a bond of trust between them. That will happen with this horse, but the tongue is not that way. It doesn't work that way. It is unbreakable. It will always be a threat of destruction because it seems that the tongue is directly connected to our emotions. And, and I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people who think they have full control of their emotions, and they don't. I've seen people who are very steady in their lives. All of a sudden, hit a point in life or a certain situation comes up, and they flip, and they don't even know how to feel. They're frustrated with themselves because they've never felt these things before because they've been able to just numb it to this point, but now it's too far. Everybody has this point where our emotions take over, and here's the thing. Our tongue responds to the emotions when we're angry, when we're hurt, when we're sad or joyful or bored. So what do we do if the tongue is untamable and it's connected to this uncontrollable thing? How do we do this? How do we tame it? How do we do something? Well, we corral it. That's what we do. We corral it. We, we close it in. The beauty of your tongue is that you have control of whether or not you will let it out. Now, some of us need to do some repairs to the latch on the gate that's here in front of our tongue because some of us have what I like to call vocal diarrhea where things just flow out that we say and even we're surprised by what we say. I say we because I'm one of them. I just, I'll say something and go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, now how do we recover from this or how do we keep moving? And the problem is while it seems like quick wit and that's where, where people think it is and they, they look at it maybe as a strength in times to be able to respond so quickly, this tendency is extremely dangerous because the more often an untamed animal gets out of the pen, the more likely it is to hurt someone. So I have to wake up and realize that even though people have pushed on me that that is a strength to be able to respond so quickly, it's not. It is dangerous. And it's not what I'm called to in this. I love that James says that pastors and teachers in the church are not exempt from this and that even this month, I've had the privilege of seeing this truth of harsher judgment come upon me and things that I've shared or things that I've said uh, upon other pastor friends of mine, upon pastors across our nation who, who are speaking to things that none of us were ever prepared to speak on. We, we as teachers in the church, though, need to not complain that people are more likely to attack us for what we say because the truth is we were warned I knew when I willingly accepted the calling of pastor that I was accepting the fact that I, like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, would be judged more harshly, and I have a responsibility, which is why I will be judged more harshly. I have taken upon myself the responsibility and calling to lead well, to carry the word of truth in the right way, and so I will be held responsible for that, not just by the people around me, but by God. And I took that on knowing it, that I have a responsibility to lead well but so do you. So do you. You have a responsibility to lead well. Even, even though you may realize that you're not a pastor or a teacher in the church, you do have circles of influence. You do have people that you directly and indirectly influence, and the way you do that matters. 
The way you do that matters, and we have to learn to keep our mouth shut more often than we are. James 1.19, we studied this just a few weeks ago. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If we're going to do this, we first have to see everywhere that we've given our tongue what I like to call free range, the areas that we, we just kind of let it go. Now, for some of us, that's out loud with words, and we have certain groups of people that we can be around or places that we go where we just let it fly. We don't care. Maybe it's, it's when you're home with your family, and you just let it go. You speak all these things, whether, whether it's harsh words or just your bitterness or complaints constantly about what's going on at work, slandering others, or doing whatever it is that you're frustrated with. You're influencing those that are around you. And in your family, you may be seeing that clearly as you're watching your kids and you're seeing them do things that you're like, whoa, 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 why are you doing that? Well, they've seen it somewhere. And it's, it's a great mirror. When I watch my two-year-old say something, I'm like, oh man, I don't want him saying that. Why am I saying that? We have to think that way. We have to realize the influence that we're having. And, and for some of you, it's not home. Maybe it's work. Maybe at home, you're really good at just keeping it shut. But at work, you just let it out. Maybe you have a group of people that you get together with and that's the place where it's at. And you need to understand while you may not think that you have very much influence with them, you are influencing them, especially those of you who, who would say that you are a believer in Jesus and work in a place where there are unbelievers around you constantly, where there are people who do not know Jesus and they look at you as someone who claims to be a Christian and the way you act, the way you handle situations, the way you speak matters because it's influencing them in whether or not they, they see Jesus as a valid thing, and whether or not they see your faith as something you actually care about or not. You may not think it matters, but it does. Every single bit of it matters. Now, it's not just out loud with words. We also have the issue of this. We, we have an area called social media and texting. This is another area where we tend to let the tongue just run rampant. Now, you're saying, it's not my tongue, that's my fingers, it's my thumbs. I get it. It's the tongue, though. It's your words. And here's a real problem that we've seen is that we are so much more bold with our frustrations to someone when I don't have to stand face to face with them, but I can just text it to them. You know how many conversations I've had with people that they're like having this great conversation face to face and it's been wonderful. And then a few minutes later, a few days later, a few weeks later, I get the text or the email saying, hey, when we were talking, what I actually wanted to say was, so frustrating in that moment because it's like, oh, we could have resolved this. If you would have just told me, we could have talked it through, I could have apologized for the things I did wrong or I could have explained why I had to do something that I did. But instead, what you chose to do was, was harbor some bitterness and wait or maybe even go and start telling other people how frustrated you are. And now, instead of it being a quick thing that we can resolve together, now we have a whole group of people that are involved in it and we have to deal with it on a much larger scale and some of it will never be recoverable because we're way more bold to just text later instead of have the conversation right now that we need to have. It's a dangerous thing because some of you will get on social media and you have no fear posting something or responding to somebody in something that you never would say anything about face to face. But you'll get on there and just rip people to shreds. It's ugly. I posted, I shared something, just a quote from someone else about a month and a half ago. And it was amazing, not a really wonderful amazing, but it was amazing to me how quickly I started receiving responses from people, not just in comments, but texts that were coming to me, people concerned, people frustrated, people angry for what I had shared. 
Now, I'm going, well, I never share anything like this. Okay, I, I mean, I understand people's, I don't actually understand, but I do understand, but I don't. And then it just kept blowing up and going and getting bigger and bigger. And it was like, what in the world is happening here? And what was funny to me is it's people that rarely ever talk to me about anything. But the moment they saw something they disagreed with, boom. Because it was so much easier to, to send me a text or to put it out there on social media when they never would have said it to my face. Not that I'm saying I want you to come say these rude things. I'm just saying, what, what I'm saying is this, is why are we so bold with this? Why do we think all of a sudden that it's okay? If I'm not willing to say it face-to-face and have a real conversation about it, then why am I posting it? Why am I sharing it? Why am I, I putting these things out there? Why am I texting this to people? We've got to wake up and realize that this boldness that comes in there always seems to be in the wrong direction. It never seems to go in the right way. You know, I, I think about it, and I think, think about these last few weeks and watching through Facebook, and it's like I'll see a political post, political post. Oh, something different, something about Jesus, but here's what it says. If you scroll past this, you love Satan. And I'm like, oh, come on. We got to have something better than that to put out there, people. We got to have something better to say than just these, these ridiculous things. Come on. There's got to be something more than this. James three thirteen through 18 is where James gives us the final piece of the solution. True godly wisdom. We need to understand that our sin nature is in a constant battle for control that will offer wisdom that seems good and yet is always self-serving. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen because in that time that we take to be slow, we can actually seek beyond reactionary wisdom and see the true wisdom of God that leads to peace. This solution of shutting your mouth, putting your phone down, closing your computer, and patiently seeking God's wisdom is what we as believers in Jesus are called to. In times such as this, it's more important than ever that we slow down our reactions and learn how to respond. That we limit unhealthy conflict by allowing our evil desires to control us. We need to not do that. We have to put that to death. This culture needs to see the church rise up with solutions based in godly wisdom and not in political power. And the reason why this is so important is because we still have one conflict that we haven't talked about. We have one more conflict that is raging in our world right now, and it's what I call the spiritual conflict. Here's here's the issue with the spiritual conflict. It has been going on since the fall of man. Since the, the first sin, we have seen this conflict raging, and here's what it is. We have God who has designed us for a relationship with him. He has created us and desires for us to be in a unity with him, But because we have sin, we are separated from God. And now there is this conflict constantly of sin pulling us in this way away from God and God pursuing us and desiring us to come be with him. We're in this conflict. And and the issue is, is we as the church, many of you are going, I understand that, but I understand there's a solution to that conflict. I've already found it. That's great. That's wonderful. But what are you doing about all the other people that are walking around you who are still on their way to hell? What are you doing about all the people that you're going to see today that do not know that solution? You have the answer to sin, death, and hell, and you're being silent about it. You're way more focused on some kind of political statement that you want to make or some opinion that you have than on something that actually leads to lasting peace, hope, and change. Our problem is right now we think that we have a political issue. We think that we have a race issue. But the issue is it's a spiritual problem. We've missed that. Somewhere that's been hidden in this, and we have to wake up to the fact that 
The gospel is the answer to the brokenness of the world. And we got to stop trying to fix a world that is coming to an end and start thinking about heaven, start thinking about eternal and not temporal things. If we're going to fight the conflict that actually matters, if we're going to resolve it, we've been given the answer to how. And you've been called as an ambassador and a witness to carry the truth, to draw people back, to speak on behalf of God when you tell people, come back to God. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to be using our tongue for. And yet we keep using it in these other ways, thinking that it's going to make a better difference or a bigger difference. I, I am so tired of seeing people be bold with political things and then come to church on Sunday and know the truth and not respond in boldness with the gospel, the actual answer. Political powers mean nothing on an eternal perspective. We have to wake up to that. God has called you to something different. God has called you to act. He has called you to carry this and to speak. Now, some of you are sitting in here going, okay, I'm feeling this spiritual conflict in me. This conflict still going on where I am unsure if I have ever understood how to resolve this. And I want to help you see the solution to the spiritual conflict right now. It's simple. God loves you, but you have been separated from him by sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and then it's passed from generation to generation to generation. And every single one of us in this room and in this world has been born with sin in us. We are born separated from God. We are born with this desire and this need, this feeling that I am missing something. And so we start filling it with all sorts of things in the world, looking for relationships, looking for things that will numb the emptiness, looking for whatever we can right now. The biggest thing is we look for causes that we can get behind that make me feel like I'm making a difference to fill me in this area that I feel empty. But the truth is you were created for a purpose and that purpose is to be with God. He is the only answer to that emptiness. And it is found through Jesus Christ, his son. You're separated from God, but he sent Jesus who came and paid the price that you owed to God. There was a debt that you owed and Jesus, as he hung on the cross, as his blood was shed, with his last breath, he said this, it is finished. The words were paid in full. Your debt is gone. And now all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus as the one and only way to save you, trusting that when God raised him from the dead three days later, he was declaring that payment accepted and giving Jesus the authority and the power to give you new life, life that starts the moment you put your faith in him and lasts forever, and a life that is marked by the Holy Spirit and can never be taken from you. You are sealed as his the moment you put your faith in Jesus. This is why I, I love getting to be a pastor because this is what I'm called to. This is the responsibility I have is to preach the gospel above all else. And I want you to know this. If you're here today and you're listening to this and going, okay, I'm ready for that. Then as I close in prayer, I want you to spend some time talking to God. You don't need to listen to me because when I'm praying, I'm talking to God myself. I'm not talking to you. So you take a moment. God can listen to all of us at once. It's an amazing thing about God. But I want you to take a moment and just talk to God. Tell him, okay, God, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to end this conflict. I'm ready to, to find the solution. And I know it is Jesus and him alone. I'm ready to trust in him, to put my faith in him, to know that there's no other way for me to be saved. 
If you have questions about that before you leave, come and see me. If today you've decided to put your faith in Jesus, come and see me. Not because I want to put your name down on some kind of roster, but because I want to come alongside you and celebrate with you and help you see what it means to have this new faith. You may not like this term, but when you've just come to Jesus, you're a baby Christian and babies need someone to show them how to walk. So I want to come alongside you and help you walk. We've got a group in this church that is being raised up right now to come alongside and teach you to walk, to walk with you, to help you see what it is to know Jesus. And so if that is you today, don't leave without coming and talking to me. Don't leave without coming and saying something so that I can get you connected and growing. But for those of you that already have your faith in Jesus, as we close today, we're going to sing a song that, that I want you to reflect on because it's a song that shows God's heart for the world, God's heart for the lost. I want you to reflect on what God's word says that he would do, the lengths he would go to, to reach them because we're called to mirror that. And so as you're sitting here, as you're thinking about all the conflict, all these things, let's refocus on the conflict we've been called to, to actually fight the conflict we've been called to step up to. It is the conflict that there are people bound for hell and we have the answer. So let's be bold. I'm gonna pray and then let's reflect through this song. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to study your word, to see you, God, to know you more, to understand, God, how, how we are to be seeking you for wisdom, God, how we're to slow down, to stop being a people that are so quick to respond, to stop looking just like the culture around us, God, but to stand out as a solution, as something different to represent you and not our opinions, to represent you and not our political parties. God, would you change the way that we've been doing this? Would you wake us up, God? It, it starts with revival in our own hearts, God, in our own churches and spreads. So help us, God, to stop resisting the call of the Spirit on us to step up, to step out, to be bold. God, would you help us to tame our tongues in areas we've let them go? And God, to use our tongues with boldness in the areas that we've been hiding from. God, give us wisdom. Help us to slow down, to seek you, and to know the truth. And God, give us a heart that reflects yours.